everyone, I'm Olivia, and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, the podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. And hopefully this first take goes quite well, because it is almost 9 o'clock and I do not want to record this again tonight. Hooray! And uh, for the next, maybe the rest of the summer, uh, there's a good chance that I might just opt for recording on Sundays. And not just because that's just when I've actually been able to get around to it, but there is some road construction happening in front of my apartment. We're getting a new bridge, and it can sometimes be a little bit loud. I don't think my microphone will pick it up. It does have some really snazzy gain selections to help keep some of that outside noise out, Um, but it has been pretty loud, so um, they haven't been working on Sundays. They have still been working on Saturdays. Uh, So... I think the road at least is supposed to be closed until the end of August, so I assume they're going to be doing stuff until the end of August. So yeah, maybe for the rest of the summer we might just do Sundays, Um, but we'll see how it goes. Um, Anyways, um, before we, another thing, before we get to this week's episode, we have a bit of news. Uh, The podcast has officially surpassed 1,000 downloads. So thank you all for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and follow me along this podcast journey. I appreciate all of you for listening and sticking through it, uh, both the people that have listened from the first episode, and if this is your first episode, I appreciate you as well, and I hope you stick around. And now for the episode. This week, I think, is a pretty fun one. It's not shark-themed, so we are going a little against the shark month that I declared it was last episode, but that's okay. Um, It's a pretty cute example of some good old mutualism. Apparently, this is also a pretty common example, but I don't think I heard about it until one of my community college students, when I was still teaching there, asked if they could write about it for their semester paper, and I was like, well, sure, why not? And then I thought that it sounded perfect for the podcast, so here we are, digging into it some more, And I can't remember if I ever plugged the podcast to them, but hey, if I did and you're listening, thanks. Uh, Today, we are talking about the relationship between hermit crabs and sea anemones. And yes, uh, it is hermit crabs we're talking about today. Boxer crabs also have some relationship with sea anemones. Um, But with both groups of crabs, the relationship exists for pretty similar reasons. And sometime, too, we'll have to talk about all the different groups of crabs and how the crab body plan has evolved something like five times. But hermit crabs are in a group of crabs separate from the true crabs. So remember your taxonomic classifications. We have kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Oftentimes, we'll have suborders, which is an additional, like, subgroup within an order, but it's still like above family member. True crabs have one step further nested within suborder and are infraorder brachyura and hermit crabs are nestled in infraorder anamura and then superfamily, oh, I didn't look up the pronunciation for this one, but I'm gonna go with pagoroidia. Superfamilies are a family grouping just above base family level so when we list all of these together, it would be order, suborder, infraorder, then superfamily, and then you get to family. And because, of course, classifications can't just be nice and easy and straightforward, no, we have to make up subgroups. 
So taxonomy aside, there are over 800 species of hermit crab. And what's kind of fun is that in the uh, picture of hermit crabs in Wikipedia, the hermit crab has a couple of anemones attached to the shell, so it's like perfect for this episode. Uh, I didn't get much of my information from Wikipedia, but it's Wikipedia can be nice for some of the basic background. Uh, hermit crabs all have a soft, modified abdomen, so most other crabs are fully hard-bodied. They have their own full, complete, hardened shells. But hermit crabs have evolved to require some external protection in the form usually of snail shells. Uh, some species will uh, kind of hide out in coral or sponges and use those instead, but most use snail shells. Most of the 800 plus species of hermit crabs do carry a shell, as I just said, usually a snail shell. Uh, some hermit crabs only have shells for part of their lives, and others never have a shell, but coconut crabs are a good example of this. Coconut crabs are a very large terrestrial hermit crab, but they only have shells when they're smaller juvenile crabs. Adult coconut crabs have a completely hardened exoskeleton and no longer need that external shell, which is good because coconut crabs get pretty big. I can't, I can't imagine there'd be too many shells around for them, big enough to house them, so it works out. And then for the other side of the relationship, the sea anemones. Sea anemones in general have a much more straightforward classification than hermit crabs. All sea anemones exist within order Actinaria and Phylumnidaria. We don't have any of that infraorder, suborder, superfamily nonsense. We have order Actinaria and Phylumnidaria, and that's just what we got. Uh, we have talked about other members of this phylum before. Nidaria has the jellyfish, corals, sea anemones, and hydroids. So the Portuguese man-of-war that I'm pretty sure we've talked about before. I didn't double check that before I said it, but I'm pretty sure we did. Um, the Portuguese man-of-war would be another fun example of the Nidaria phylum. So what unifies the members of this pretty diverse uh, phylum and what makes the sea anemones useful to the hermit crabs and other animals that use them for shelter are the stinging cells. All members of the Nidaria phylum have stinging cells called nematocysts or nidocyte. Uh, those two terms are often used interchangeably. They have a small hairline trigger, so it's really just like a hair sensor, that when touched causes a small harpoon-like stinger to explode out of the cell to sting the victim and inject some venom. These stinging cells are pretty useful for both catching prey and defense against predators. And when catching prey, since it is kind of small and harpoon-like, it does actually help them hold on to their prey as well. So like with things that are catching fish, uh, the fish is less, um, it can't get away quite as easily. In sea anemones, anemones typically have a stout stalked body and then at the top, a ring of tentacles around their mouth. It doesn't matter so much for this episode, but just as a fun thing, this sort of body plan is generally referred to as a polyp, and other members of the Nidarium phylum have this similar sort of polyp uh, body plan, so like corals are polyps in a hard rock. Uh, many of the like hydrozoa are, have a polyp body plan, and even jellyfish have a polyp life stage, so polyps are pretty common in the Nidaria. 
sea anemones are very soft-bodied and as after they eat and need some digestion time or they're taken out of water, they can sort of invert their bodies in a way that completely hides the tentacle ring. So it helps to provide some protection, keep water in, all that good stuff. They are also mostly sedentary. There are some species that can sort of scooch themselves around a little bit, but generally speaking, they don't move much. So once they're in place, say on a hermit crab shell or on a rock, they're pretty stuck in place. So when thinking about them in terms of hermit crabs, not all species of anemone will live on hermit crabs. Only about 100 of the over 1,000 sea anemone species are known to live with hermit crab shells, or known to live on hermit crab shells. In some areas, it's only one or two species that are most associated with hermit crabs. For example, in the eastern Atlantic and Mediterranean Sea, the anemone Caliactus parasitica is one of the more common of the hermit crab-associating anemones. So now that we have some background on our hermit crabs and our sea anemones, what's their relationship like? Is it friendly or is it opposite of friendly? Uh, many of the interspecies relationships that I've talked about before have been parasitic. Is that what's going on? Nope. Hermit crabs and sea anemones... <laughs> Hermit crabs and sea anemones both benefit from the relationship, and now I'm starting to do like in Finding Nemo. I'm apparently going to reference Finding Nemo a lot in this podcast next, like episodes or so. But it's so much of the same syllable. I'm going to start doing the anena and anemone thing. Uh, we'll see how often that happens. Uh, so when both species benefit, uh, this is what we refer to as a mutualistic relationship or mutualism. If we want to get specific about it, the scientific literature has often referred to the hermit crab anemone relationship as facultative mutualism. So it's not like required for both groups to live. They can exist without each other, but both, be but both species do benefit quite a bit from their relationship. So since there is benefit, but it's not required, then that would make it facultative mutualism. Hermit crabs, uh, what they get out of the relationship they mostly get additional protection from predators through the anemone stinging cells, and in most cases, this is primarily what the hermit crab gets out of it. There are some special cases that we'll talk about later where the anemone also helps with shell sizing, but it's mostly predator protection. Interestingly, one of the papers I read the abstract to, I didn't read the whole thing, said that when there are areas with higher occurrences of the common octopus, which is a predator to hermit crabs, there is a higher incidence of hermit crabs carrying around sea anemones. Sea anemones, what they get out of their relationship, they get some additional food resources through the hermit crab, especially if their hermit crab friend is a messy eater, and they can also get some assistance with spreading the species around to new locations, so with dispersal. Since anemones don't move at all as adults, um, or very minimally, they tend to have pretty localized populations. They oftentimes are going to settle on larger, stable rocks, so once they settle and grow, they're pretty stuck. So this can mean that species can have a pretty widespread range, like overall, but within that range, you're going to have spots of occurrence. So even if there is a widespread suitable habitat, um, it's going to be pretty patchy without that range. So if you can hitch a ride somewhere, it might just help you spread around, get to some new locations. You're not all going to be living... Uh, right with your neighbors. So this is also going to potentially um, expose you to new anemone populations. Um, you can 
uh, kind of mix that gene pool around between populations, all that good stuff. Sea anemones also get some additional protection from predators as well. Hermit crabs are very protective over their anemones and will fight even other hermit crabs away from their anemones. Sea anemones are a highly desirable commodity for a hermit crab. They do sometimes eat their anem eat anemones, and if they're in a dire situation, will even eat their own anemones, but they will also steal anemones from other hermit crabs for their own shells. With the hermit crab species Dardanus pedunculatus, larger individuals will steal individuals from other hermit crabs. They just want all of the anemones for themselves. And I guess if you do see a smaller hermit crab walking around with an anemone that you think looks pretty sweet, uh, you might want to grab that anemone if uh, you recently lost your own or you don't have one right now, you recently got a new shell. Um, so you might want to take it. It looks like an easy target. As with many crab species, one claw is often larger than the other, and that larger claw is used for fights. So it might not be surprising that when fighting over who gets the anemone, the crab with the larger claw with, will often win the situation or will win the anemone. As I briefly mentioned earlier, some sea anemones provide an additional benefit for their hermit crab host. There are two groups of sea anemone in particular, genus Adamsia and genus Stylobates, that form a solid layer on the hermit crab shell. It's sort of like a secretion from the pedal disc or the foot end, so to speak, of the anemone, and this secretion coating is primarily made of the carbohydrate chitin. It's the same stuff that the hermit crab's exoskeleton is made of. So as this chitin layer is made, it hardens and forms a bronzy colored sort of shell-like structure on top of the hermit crab's snail shell that it has, and this layer is called the carcinoceum. The carcinoceum does a couple of things for the hermit crab. If the snail shell the crab is in is a little weak, it can help to strengthen the shell, and as the carcinoceum grows, it can also expand the shell that the crab is living in. So it doesn't expand it as in physically make the shell wider, but at the opening of the shell, it expands the shell in that way, so it more grows the shell. In some species, this allows the hermit crab to stay in the same shell for just about forever as it grows, or at least um, for the hermit crab's life. But for other hermit crabs, it just increases the time the hermit crab has in its current home before it gets too big for the shell and has to move. And this is really quite the benefit. Moving shells can be quite dangerous for hermit crabs, so the longer they can go before changing shells, the better. And oftentimes, in at least some hermit crab species, they, even if they really are too big for their shell, they need to move. If uh, they don't have another hermit crab nearby that also needs to move shells, like they'll kind of form little uh, conga lines of hermit crabs um, ready for shell changes. So then they are guaranteed to have a new shell when they exit the one they're currently in. But if they leave their shell and either something else takes the shell or there isn't a shell nearby and they thought there was or just something happens and they don't have a shell to go to, uh, that's really certain doom for the hermit crab. It leaves them very exposed to predators and I suppose for marine and aquatic hermit crabs, they're going to have a larger window of opportunity since, um, you know, they're in water. 
before terrestrial hermit crabs, if they don't get a new shell to move into pretty quickly, they can actually dry out and die that way. And that would be a pretty unpleasant way to go. Like at best, you've got a seagull that's going to come get you, but worst case, you just like dehydrate to death. But um, as a fun tidbit on that super uplifting note, uh, in 2011, there was a new species of anemone discovered in Australia that forms a carcinoceum on hermit crabs. The species was a Stylobates. It's Stylobates burtlesi. And as far as was described in the discovery paper, it seems to only have a symbiotic relationship with the hermit crab. Ooh, this was another one I didn't, I couldn't find the pronunciation, so we're just going with it. Uh, Sympagurus trispinosis. It would be nice if some of these also had common names because that would really help with um, a lot of these have a lot of syllables and a lot of vowels and consonants in orders. So it would be nice if they had a common name because that would really make that easier. But hey, you know, what you gonna do? But now, how do crabs get their sea anemones? And since hermit crabs change shells as they grow, what happens to the anemone on the old shell? Can they move it? Um, Do they have to hope their new shell comes with anemones? All of these good questions. So hermit crabs can get their anemones in one of two ways. The first is by random luck. A young baby planktonic anemone just happens to settle down on the snail shell that grows into an adult anemone, and then that snail shell becomes a hermit crab's home. And that could happen, but that is a lot of, uh, you know, circumstances. The other is by a hermit crab selecting an anemone and purposefully placing it on its shell. And this could be a wild, unclaimed anemone, a stolen anemone from another hermit crab shell, or even an anemone from an old shell. So they can, on that note, transport their sea anemones from an old shell to a new shell, and they don't have to leave it behind. Um, This isn't the case for all species, but interestingly, since many of these anemones have evolved alongside the hermit crabs, they have adapted to respond to the touch of hermit crabs. In a 2020 paper by Gusamo, Uh, the origin and evolution of the symbiosis uh, between, or the origin and evolution of the symbiosis between sea anemones and hermit crabs, with additional notes on anemone gastropod associations. The species of, or many species of sea anemones that have had a mutualistic relationship with hermit crabs will actually relax and release their pedal disc, so again their foot, from whatever surface they're on as they're being prodded and handled by hermit crabs. So again, it didn't sound like this was quite all species of hermit of uh, sea anemones, but there are particular species that have, um, that are pretty specific to the kind of anemone hermit crab association. So it's going to be some of these species in particular that will relax to the touch of a hermit crab. Hermit crabs are pretty smart about their sea anemone placement too, so they want their anemone to be very solidly on their shell. They don't want the anemone to impede their movements either while providing, um, while they also want the anemone to provide optimal protection. So what they'll do is arrange their anemones with the anemone's center of gravity in mind, which essentially means that they find the balance point of the anemone and position it so it's properly balanced on the shell so it won't fall off 
until the anemone um, is able to attach back down. Hermit crabs also want to position the anemone as close to the opening of the shell as possible, also known as the aperture, so that then the hermit crab itself gets better protection from predators like squid. So these little guys aren't just stealing and placing their hermit crabs all willy-nilly, they actually put some thought and strategy into the best spot for their new, potentially lifelong anemone, f anemone friend. And chances are, it's probably lifelong for the anemone. Uh, some hermit crab species can live something like uh, upwards of 20 years. Um, I'm not sure anemones live that long. I'll have to check on that sometime. And that is what I have for you on the hermit crab sea anemone relationship. Since anemones don't have a whole lot in the way of brains, I'm really not sure if we can consider them domesticated by hermit crabs or not. I'm not really sure what the line is there. But since they do respond to the touch of hermit crabs, maybe they could be a little bit. Either way, it's kind of fun to think that since they've evolved alongside each other for quite some time, that these species of anemones aren't just a random pet selection by hermit crabs, they're an evolutionarily driven little anemone pet for the hermit crab. Not quite destiny, but I think it's pretty close. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone in your life that could use some new hermit crab facts, which we all know is everybody, share the podcast with your friends. They can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes. And it would be super great if you would leave a review on um, iTunes, Spotify, wherever, Podbean. Also, you can leave reviews, I think. Those are all great ways to support this podcast and help new people find us and help us grow beyond a thousand downloads. If you are on Facebook or Instagram, be sure to give us a follow at Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky on Facebook and Quirky, Creepy, Freaky Pod on Instagram to get all the pictures and updates on the podcast. Thanks to my sister, Kaylee Streit, for creating the theme music for the podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>